0: Well, the job of a salesman is not the job I envy. Uh, whenever they come to my door, I always feel sorry for them. Not because of the rude send-off I'm about to give them. Uh, I feel sorry for them always having to try and convince people that they need whatever it is they're selling. And over and over again, people just ignore them, not even willing to give them the time of day. Uh, near the escalators at Centro downtown, there's usually a phone rep or pay TV salespeople, and they're just trying to do their job. But people just walk past them with at best a cursory "No thanks." And then there's the pressure of having to sell so many things per month. Who'd want to be a salesman? But as Christians, we're kind of salesmen, aren't we? We're trying to convince people that they need Jesus, trying to persuade people that without Jesus, they can't have eternal life. But so many people don't want anything to do with Jesus. So we're rejected or politely told to be quiet or to go away we're made fun of or looked down on, in a world that's hostile to God, in a culture where the idea of God is so confused, what confidence can we have that people will want to become a Christian? Why would we bother trying to tell people about Jesus? Well, because God can overcome anything. And he's in the business of saving people as they hear about Jesus, the section of 2 Corinthians we're looking at this morning is all about the fact that God does give life as people hear about Christ. And so we should be confident about sharing the gospel. There's four things that Paul teaches about God giving life. And the first is that he does it through the preaching of Christ. In verses 12 and 13 of chapter 2, Paul tells of being in Troas and then he was in Macedonia. But it didn't matter where he was. Everywhere he went was to preach Christ because through the preaching of Christ, God gives life. Have a look at verse 14. Verse 14, chapter 2. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. Paul's saying here that when Christ is preached, some will love it. It'll be to them the fragrance of life. But Paul's also saying that when Christ is preached, some will hate it. It'll be to them the smell of death. One message, two responses. It's a bit like the smell of cooking meat. Uh, For some, the aroma of meat cooking on the barbecue is pure delight. It's a fragrance. As they walk towards the barbecue, they breathe in deeply the aroma of the flavours and it's beautiful. But to others, the aroma of cooking meat is disgusting. It's not a fragrance. It's a stench in their nostrils. One aroma, two responses. It's the same with the gospel of Christ. One message, two different responses. To those who believe the gospel is pure delight, it's the fragrance of life. Because trusting in Christ results in eternal life. But to those who don't believe, the gospel's disgusting. It's the stench of death. Because rejecting Christ results in eternal death. Heaven and hell is on the line as we tell people of Jesus. But at this point, simply notice that hearing of Christ is life to some. There will be those who, when they hear about Jesus... Through that, they'll be given eternal life because through the preaching of Christ, God gives life. Now, can you feel the confidence that this should give us? There will be people who, when they hear of Jesus, there and then, they'll believe in the Lord Jesus as their Savior and they'll be given eternal life. That's why we're praying that men will be saved at the men and meat night coming up. To us, telling people about Jesus, it can seem weak and foolish, but God uses it to save people. Through the preaching of Christ, God gives life. So let's get out there and tell people about Jesus. Now in the verses we've just looked at, Paul has said that with his gospel, he has the words of eternal life. And so it might sound to some like he's big noting or commending himself, trying to make himself sound good, but he wasn't. He wasn't claiming to be brilliant or clever. Uh, There were others in Corinth that were infiltrating the church. They were claiming to be brilliant and clever. They had these letters from supposedly important people recommending them. They were impressive. They were showy. They were eloquent. And they looked down on Paul and they pointed to themselves as far better than him. But Paul knew that it wasn't about whether or not they were better than him because People being saved doesn't depend on who shares the gospel. People receiving eternal life depends on whether God gives his spirit or not. Have a look at chapter 3 and verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you're a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Now, it's a strange image, I know. Paul's saying the Corinthians are a letter from Christ, written not with ink. That is, written not by human hands. They're not Christian because of Paul, who told them the gospel. The Corinthians turned to Christ because God gave them his spirit. They're a letter from Christ written with the spirit of the living God. Them being Christian had nothing to do with how impressive Paul was or wasn't. Now can you see the confidence this gives us as we seek to share the gospel with people? It's not up to us whether someone becomes a Christian or not. As we talked about uh, Jesus with people, it's not up to us as to whether we convince them to believe in him or not. And so if in your conversations with people, your explanation with your friends about Jesus, if your explanation is a bit clunky, or you think of the right thing to say, but only after the conversation, or you weren't particularly convincing when you were speaking, it's not the end of the world. Because it's God who gives life through the preaching of Christ as he gives his spirit. Now, as I said before, one of the worst jobs I can imagine for me is being a salesman. I feel sorry for them, spending all day getting knockback after knockback, never knowing if the next person's going to be a sale, their boss demanding a certain quota for the month, and it's all up to them. How persuasive they can be, how skilled they are at getting people into a conversation, how much they can convince people that they need whatever it is they're selling, and all the while, at the end of the day, their boss wants to know, how much did you sell? Now, praise God, it's not like that for us. God's our boss, sure, but the quotas, the numbers of people who become Christian as we share the gospel, God himself says that's not up to us. That's up to him. Because no one turns to Christ unless God gives them his spirit. It's God who gives eternal life. He saves his people. And he does it through the preaching of Christ and the giving of his spirit. Which means normal people like you and me can confidently go and share Jesus with the people around us because whether or not God gives them life, that's up to God. Now in verses 7 to 18, Paul goes on a little aside about how good it is to be given the Spirit. He compares God's giving of his Spirit to God's giving of his law back in the Old Testament and he says that in the end it's no comparison. The Spirit's much better than the law. Now, he goes on about this because of the people who were infiltrating the church with a new gospel. Uh, In their gospel, they appealed to the law, to the Jewish law, that that they were on board with what God had done through Moses. And Paul admits that, yes, the law was glorious, but the law was only ever temporary, and it also brought death, whereas the spirit is permanent, and he brings life. Have a look at verse 7, chapter 3, verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, that's the law, which was engraved in letters on stone came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? You get the picture? The law faded. It was temporary and it brought death. The spirit lasts. He's eternal and he brings life. It's no comparison. It's a little bit like this Hot Wheels car of mine. Uh, It's a beauty. This is a really nice scale model, if you can't see it, here's a picture of it on the screen. It's a really nice scale model of the Ferrari 250 LM, and it's beautiful. It's got a lot of detail. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but there is, hopefully you'll agree, a certain amount of glory with this Hot Wheels car. It's beautiful. But if outside there was parked a real Ferrari 250 LM, and as we went outside to have a look and we're all ooing and ahhing over the real deal. It would be pretty silly of me to try and get you to have a look at my Hot Wheels car. Because the glory of this Hot Wheels Ferrari is nothing compared to the glory of a real Ferrari. And the glory of the law is nothing compared to the glory of Christ and his spirit. Temporary compared to permanent. Death compared to, compared to life. Why would you turn to another gospel? But look, don't lose sight of the big picture in this this section, and that is it's only by the Spirit that anyone puts their trust in the Lord Jesus. It's God who gives life through the gift of the Spirit. And by the way, that life is eternal and glorious, and it's not up to us whether or not someone receives it. It's God who gives life through the preaching of Christ as he gives his Spirit. And so ordinary people like you and me, we can confidently share Christ with people, knowing that God will save his people as he gives them his spirit. And knowing this will mean that we share the truth of Christ with people as plainly as we can. It's only God who gives life, so we're not going to flatter people or fiddle with the gospel. Even when people that we love, when they take offense at Jesus, we're not going to change his truth to try and make him more appealing as if we could, because it's not up to us whether or not they believe in Jesus or not. We'll just set forth the truth plainly. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience In the sight of God, as plainly and as simply as we can, we try and convince people of their need of Christ. No deception, no distortion, just plainly setting forth the truth of Christ. Because as people hear of Jesus, God gives life. But if we change the truth about Christ, well then we lose Christ altogether. Because the gospel is a little bit like a square. If I change a square by adding to it or subtracting from it, it's no longer a square, is it? If I add a side to a square, all of a sudden it's a pentagon. Or if I take a side away from a square, at best I'll make it a triangle. I can't add or subtract from a square and keep it a square. And you can't add or subtract from Jesus and keep Jesus. People need to know the truth about Christ. And as they hear of him, God will give life. He'll save those he wants to save. It's not up to us. And so without deception or distortion, we plainly set forth the truth about Jesus. Now, I reckon Paul's given us plenty of reasons to be confident in talking to people about Christ, but he's got one more for us. In the next few verses of chapter 4, Paul reminds us that Satan is at work in this world. He hates God. He hates people. Satan certainly doesn't want anyone to believe in Christ and be given eternal life. But God overcomes all that. Chapter 4, verse 4. The God of this age, that's Satan, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Satan blinds people so that they cannot see the light of the glory of Christ. But God makes his light shine so that people can see the light of the glory of Christ. God overcomes Satan. God saves his people. God gives life. Nothing and no one can stop him. Now again, can you see the confidence that this gives us as we talk to people about Jesus? Satan's doing all he can to make people not believe, but God just brushes him aside and makes people see. So let's tell people the good news, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now in all of this, Paul's big point that he keeps driving home is that it's God who gives life. He's the one who it depends all on, which means we can confidently go and share Jesus with people. And Paul's last point is that even in the way God chooses to make Jesus known to people, Even that shows that it's all God's work. God has chosen for people to hear of Christ through his people who are often weak and persecuted. There's nothing flashy about us. We're like jars of clay, bendable, breakable, unimpressive. And so whenever anyone puts their faith in Christ, it clearly wasn't because of us. It must have been by God. Chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show That this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. You see, as Paul travelled around telling people about Jesus, he was ridiculed and beaten, persecuted, struck down, hard pressed on every side. To the outsider, Paul looked every bit the loser, a glutton for punishment. And yet, still, people believed his message. Clearly, the all surpassing power of God, of giving eternal life comes from God. And knowing that God does save people through Jesus when they hear of him, well, Paul did whatever he could to tell people about Jesus, even if that meant he would suffer. And as we seek the salvation of the people around us, that might mean suffering for us too. We thought about that last week. This week, the emphasis is on the fact that it is God who gives life. God who saves people, not us by our clever preaching or anything like that. God alone who gives life. And this truth should shape us in a number of ways. Firstly, enjoy. Enjoy the relief that the salvation of the people you're speaking to is not up to you. You don't have to be the greatest speaker or the most persuasive person on the planet. As people hear of Christ, even from the likes of you and me, God saves them. So tell them about Jesus. Secondly, breathe in the confidence that today... God is giving his spirit to people that they would put their trust in Christ. Today, God is brushing Satan aside so that people would see the glory of Christ and believe. God is saving his people. Nothing and no one can stop him, so tell people of Christ. Thirdly, enjoy the freedom of not having to try and change the gospel. If there's something about Jesus that people don't like, I don't know, maybe they don't like the fact that Jesus is the only way to God. That's not our problem. That's God's problem. And he can overcome any problem he wants to. All we have to do is plainly set forth the truth of Christ to people. What God does with that is up to him. And lastly, revel in God's power to save people by praying to him. He alone has the power to give eternal life. And he loves to respond to the prayers of his people. He delights in saving people. So pray to your heavenly father for the people around you who don't know Jesus. This week, pray every day for at least one non-Christian person you know. Pray that God would give them life. Pray for them. And then go and tell them that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, thank you that you give life, eternal life, through your Son, as you give your Spirit. Father, Satan is no obstacle for you. People's hard hearts, you can overcome it all, You alone have the power to give eternal life because of the resurrection of your son from the dead. Father, thank you for your mighty work. And we beg you, please, for the people that we know around us, people that are dear to us, please, Father, give them life. We ask that they would hear of Jesus, even from us. And, Father, as we speak, please give them your spirit that they might believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen.